Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com this is the straight up breakdown podcast exclusively on the herd app media network tell it to me straight up hello welcome to the straight up breakdown podcast proudly part of the hill varsity network i am greg smith your I, i had my first camp of what is extended camp season this weekend so i'm a little all over the place today friend uh, i am joined by today i'm joined by managing editor of hail varsity brandon vogel brandon thank you for being back on the show it's been a while since i've had you on how are you man i'm doing well thanks for thanks for having me i didn't contribute to your your camp Quote, we'll call it a camp hangover by uh, having a hard baby out here early in the morning, but we'll soldier on. No, no, it's fine. Like we, this is, I think this is the second or third week in a row, actually, that we've done this exact time uh, uh, for the podcast. Like it's starting to become a thing. Um, I don't know if Cam loves, shout out to Cam, that it's becoming <laughs> a thing, but we'll see how that goes. Um, but I kind of like it. Like you, you, you're fresh right there in the morning. We, yep. we talk about what we're going to talk about um, and then we keep it pushing. Um, and each week we have a few mainstays of the show. The first one is called Coach Speak, where we go over something that a coach player or talking head says and then we give you the straight-up breakdown of what they meant. Coach, speak to real talk. This week comes from uh, head coach of LSU, Brian Kelly, and his new family. Um, He said, quote, I never went into the office saying we can't win a title at Notre Dame, uh, he said to Sports Illustrated. Quote, I went into the office every day looking for a reason that we could. But part of the lure of this job at LSU is that there are many avenues towards that. There are not as many paths at Notre Dame. I'm not trying to skirt the answer as much as I really believe for me it wasn't I'm done here. Man, that there's a lot there. So, Brandon, what did he mean by that? Let's break that down. Well, he, he, he's not wrong. And, and I think <laughs> that, you know, this is a, a rare instance where the coach speak feels a little bit kind of transparent and, and honest. Um, that said, I still don't love it as a quote for Brian Kelly because essentially what he's saying is, like, I was looking for a place with – fewer hurdles which I guess you know you can't blame anybody for and it's you look at the SEC and the fact that they kind of perennially now get two teams in at Notre Dame you basically you've got one game of wiggle room where you can you can maybe get in there at 11 and one you're never going to play in a conference championship game obviously recruiting in the upper midwest Notre Dame's done a pretty good job in my opinion Mm -hmm. um but it's it's tougher than, than recruiting yeah. at LSU. I mean, have you looked at Notre Dame's schedule for, for 2022 yet? I have not yet, no. 
Let, let me run it off for you. They <laughs> open at Ohio State, face Marshall, pretty good CUSA team. Cal, not bad defensively, at North Carolina. BYU, really good team. Yeah. Stanford, meh. UNLV, eh. Syracuse, Clemson. Then they've got Navy, pesky option team right after Clemson, Boston yeah. College, and at USC. FPI has them fifth in the country with a projected record of nine and three. And if you go nine and three, great year. You're a really good team. You're not going to the playoff. Right. Yeah, you're definitely not. And boy, that that Clemson Navy back to back is no joke. Like it doesn't like on the surface, it doesn't feel like it. But as you pointed out, that's a tricky option team to play after Clemson, who will in all likelihood win another double digit um, games this season and, and look to have what will be a bounce back year for them after winning double digits last year, uh, which is super fascinating to me. <laughs> um, that's neither here nor there. Um, I do agree with you that it is both transparent and true what Brian Kelly said and at the same time a little bit weird and one of the paths though that you do have available to you at LSU that I think you don't necessarily have at Notre Dame it is related to recruiting like one of the things that makes it really difficult about Notre Dame or more difficult I guess I should say than other schools the academic standards that they have at that school it's it's just a fact a reality of major college football that other schools that have the same aspirations I guess that they have on a yearly basis just simply don't run into right like you you see it very rare like Stanford has like I guess as stringent of academic standards but they're not at the same level right like we're not talking about the same thing they've been good just like I don't want I don't want to say despite that they've been good working around that um and Notre Dame has as well it just makes it a lot harder. Like your pool of players is definitely smaller to pick from at Notre Dame than it is at LSU, um, which I, I, I don't want to say that they're on the far other end of the spectrum <laughs> from Notre Dame, um, but it definitely is a different stratosphere of academic standards, right? I think that that's fair. Um, and so, and your point about the SEC is, is really good because I think that that's part of it too. In that if you say, instead of going nine and three with that schedule at Notre Dame, you end up in the SEC, SEC and you go 10 and 2 but win the SEC championship game or make it to the SEC championship game and say that final loss of the season or your second loss of the season is in that game you still got a shot to go in to the college football playoff um and so that does make it it, it makes it to me and I said this to um Derek Peterson last week on the varsity club podcast we were just talking about college football generally and teams that excite us or we are interested in seeing this season like um Notre Dame was on my list because of Marcus Freeman but part of what it is is that whole like coaching carousel that happened this offseason has actually ratcheted up my interest in the sport because a bunch of those situations are really interesting to me LSU and Brian Kelly is one of them like can he I guess not even assimilate to LSU but is his style going to work there like there's a lot going on with just him and LSU yeah that's the thing that gives me pause like it's it's a it's a strange fit in in my mind I mean you had you had Ed Ogeron who was kind of like the the perfect LSU coach out of Mm -hmm. central casting I mean and then you go all the way to the opposite end where you've got Brian Kelly, you know, a guy from Boston who like fit perfectly at Notre Dame. Like mm-hmm. it just, you know, <laughs> made yeah. sense. Um, and, and now you drop him in Louisiana and, you know, expectations are going to be are going to be really high. I mean, they're always high at LSU. And and I think that's what we're talking about or what Brian Kelly was talking about was there's just like 
a little bit like the margins here are really slim, but Notre Dame, I think Brian Kelly did a great job getting Notre Dame into two playoffs. Mm-hmm. Was that their ceiling? Like, I mean, once you get there, you, you get a little fortunate in that semifinal and all of a sudden you're playing for a national title. Right. Um, you know, even if you may not be one of the quote unquote four best teams at, at LSU, I think when they get to a playoff, like the expectations there in the running to win it. And that's maybe the difference there, but it's, it's tiny. And you know, how many jobs are there that give you that over Notre Dame? It's not like Notre Dame is, you know, <laughs> decrepit. By right. Right. No, they're definitely not. And they're a team that man, despite that schedule, I think that they have a shot to be in contention this year. Um, I'm a big Marcus Freeman fan. Like I'm fascinated to see like what he does out there. And and one of the things with him and, and what makes it like him and Kelly are obviously going to always kind of be linked and people are going to compare and contrast what they do at the, in their respective new jobs. Right. Um, but their styles could not be more different. Right. Like you couldn't have a more contra, a bigger contrast in how they're going to go about things. And, and Marcus Freeman kind of representing that new school coach um, that is more about the player relationship on the surface, more about the player relationship, all in on recruiting. And there's a handful of those guys. Um, and one of the things that I've kind of noticed about what's happening with Notre Dame recruiting in general um, is that they had they've always recruited well. But they have always also kind of found like three star gems, right? And they've, and they, especially in the linebacker, like if you just go and look at their linebacker history, um, it's been really kind of remarkable of what they've produced from three star guys. Um, doesn't seem to be the case with Marcus Freeman. You go and look at their recruiting list uh, for the current class and for 2024. Um, it's a lot of four stars hanging out in that group now, and they're in the running for different five stars too. Um, and so they're trying to change that profile by, by doing things differently. Brian Kelly now has an entire new world. Of prospects um, that he can go after, not just because of the academics thing, um, but like we've seen here with kind of Mickey Joseph and all the talent that's in Louisiana. Like there are just people you just go out there and walk around, it feels like, and you see a high level four star player. Um, so that also gives you a different avenue, like he was saying, um, to being able to win. Um, that whole thing is just it's just really interesting about those two schools and where they are in relation to each other and what's going to happen with them this season and the expectations for both. Both of them will be sky high. Um, and, we, and it's funny because reference again, me and Derek were talking about, you know, USC, for example. And if they go nine and three this year, eight and four, say eight and four, eight and four in year one of a complete overhaul of what's happening at their program, they're at a school that that's not going to be good enough especially given the amount of money and the churn with the coaching carousel, which is going to be like kind of this looming factor, I think, over the entire entire college football season, that 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 coaching carousel and the money that those guys got and all the, the kind of stuff that went on behind the scenes is going to make for some angry fan bases somewhere. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, and we'll get, you know, that that week 12 game, Notre Dame at USC is going to be kind of fascinating for that because at that mm-hmm. point like Lincoln Riley and Marcus Freeman will be 11 games into their their first season we'll have a good sense of what those teams are it'll be kind mm-hmm. of interesting to see what the stakes are you know right. you're talking about Freeman's recruiting I think the fact that he isn't so perfectly Notre Dame in the way that Brian Kelly was and few others would be mm-hmm. I think makes their recruiting ceiling a bit higher I mean if we were to I fast agree. forward four years from now would it surprise you if, you know, we just took average class rankings and Notre Dame was higher than LSU under Brian Kelly? 
No, no, that wouldn't surprise me at all, because I, I do agree with you. I think that his Marcus Freeman's just kind of the way he goes about things, I think, really gives them a chance to elevate what they're what they have going on. Yeah, I definitely think that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it takes a while to establish those connections. And, you know, you get there's a ton of good prospects in LSU that, um, you know, are probably going to have some sort of draw to LSU. It's going to be a program that they're at least familiar with. But you talk about, you know, the high four star out of Houston, um, which, you know, is pretty close to LSU territory. Who has a better shot to go land that guy, Marcus Freeman or Brian Kelly? Right. Um, you know, it's just the adjustment from Notre Dame to LSU that seems so big to me that gives me a little bit of pause. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you on there. And that's why for that reason, I think it's going to be so interesting to see like how things unfold. And oh, by the way, how much patience they have um, down at LSU for the adjustment period that he may or may not face. Um, and so we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. But one of the other things I definitely wanted to talk to you about today was it's NFL draft season, right? Which feels like snuck up on me somehow like I don't know like and, and well like, I do kind of know like college football this year has just been like it does not feel like there's been an offseason we are technically in the offseason <laughs> for college football but it does not feel like between what happened with Nebraska over the offseason um, I guess in that January February period where they were hiring the new coaches and all of that that completely wiped out that offseason quote-unquote time um, and this one is also kind of weird because of when they finished spring football and then for me personally then being in this evaluation period and then that's going to butt up right against camp season and then the transfer portal is also like you can't go too long talking about college football without mentioning the transfer portal like there's a lot happening with that but the NFL draft um, is also right around the corner which has become to me kind of a, a weird time I would say and I'm curious your thoughts on this in around Husker football because I feel like this becomes the time where people start to hone in on Man, Nebraska's had a lot of struggles here, uh, really, since I think that last Bo Pelini season. Um, and so is, is that something that you agree with? Do you feel like that when we get to this time of year, that it starts to drudge up kind of those bad feelings about the state of the program? Yeah, I think it does. So, you know, you had the the draft streak end a couple of years ago, which was one thing, you know, it was kind of, it, it, it was apparent at that point when Nebraska was having like one guy selected late to keep that streak alive that, oh, you know, I think that's when it kind of turned to, okay, great. That's nice to have that and put it on your recruiting brochures. But you can see the problem here. If you've only got one guy going in these years and, um, I think Prince was Prince of Mukamara, the last first round draft pick, or was it? I think it was. I think it was, I um, think it was Prince, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, really post Polini, where you had Sue, you had David, you had Prince, um, some of those other DBs. Like, it's been a slow slide for Nebraska. This year, actually, you know, looks comparatively good. Uh, you're, you're just, you look around the country at the programs that. Nebraska has historically competed with that it wants to compete with again. And, and you see a pretty wide gap there. Yeah, there, there's just a significant gap between what Nebraska is producing in the NFL and what, and, and not even, honestly, the teams that they want to start getting back to competing with. It's the teams that they're competing with um, in the Big Ten West, right? Like some yeah. of these teams, like you look at Iowa, and this is the one that really gets people. Um, Wisconsin is another one. It's starting to happen some with Minnesota as well, um, where you're seeing um, Purdue is a team too that 
that sneakily seems to always have someone at, at a high level, like, and, and maybe that'll kind of taper off here. We'll see if they continue to produce at least one big time guy a year. Um, but it's even that's been different than what Nebraska has been, where they feel like they have a surefire guy, at least. Um, you're right, though, this year it is different and it feels comparatively, comparatively speaking, like a much better year for Nebraska. And it's but to me, it's really interesting on how we got here with some of these guys. And, and the first one to me, in, in which is fascinating in a lot of different ways, Cam Jurgens and what's happened with him over the course from you think about the when we were whenever you were made aware of Cam Jurgens as a high schooler in Beatrice to where he is now um, as a potential second or third round pick, even you start to hear some stuff about him rise it up um, because there'll, there'll be just, you know, maybe three centers usually go in the top 100. And then we'll kind of go from there. And usually that's, you know, third round. By the end of the third round, you'll have a few centers selected. And he's in the conversation to be one of those, you know, two or three, um, along with the guy from Iowa. But if you think about his journey, if I had told you when he was having those snapping issues that he would now be in this conversation, what would you have told me? Uh, I probably would have told you maybe in another, maybe after another season at Nebraska, (laughs) which I know Husker fans certainly hoped for but you know and that's part of the thing that gives me pause with all of these draft discussions it's not like we can look at draft picks and when they were picked and what that says about your ability to recruit talent develop talent in some cases Uh, but his rise shows me a little bit of just the gap between the nfl is trying to project for how well somebody would do in the nfl college is a lot of similarities but it's not one-to-one um with with cam i i still think you know there's always going to be the regret there of it would have been nice to have one more year with him yeah. or you know if he had kind of advanced to you know first team all big 10 center well at nebraska it would probably hurt a little less um to see <laughs> him go from a strictly nebraska football perspective but overall like i still think it's a pretty good story for nebraska you, yeah. you had an in-state guy highly touted guy you you kind of got to get um because it's always going to be that way with four stars in nebraska and they did made the transition to center said i think this is like your future and we're seeing now as he continues to rise up the charts they were kind of right about that Mm -hmm. it just stings that i don't think nebraska fans feel like they totally got to see the best of that yeah, I, I definitely agree that I don't think that I think that that's the case for sure. But I also wonder if if Nebraska is in a a tricky position, and I don't know if I don't know what I was expecting about Cam Jurgens like promotion, I guess, from Nebraska side of things coming up to the draft. Maybe we'll get more of it this week because we are in draft week. But I've been a little surprised that we have not seen more of Nebraska really out there trying to get in front, saying, "Hey, he's," and you don't have to say, "Hey, we made him." switch positions and, and you know it worked out great for him he's gonna go make millions of dollars you don't have to say it that way there's plenty of ways to do it you know you do the whole homegrown thing all of that be jerky like there's all sorts of ways to do that i am surprised i don't know if you are that we have not already seen more promotion of like what seems to be his stock rising up on a rocket ship yeah i am a little bit because and really when i look at nebraska's kind of draft class and i know we'll get through some more of these like I think there's a good story overall through throughout all of them. Um, you know, Cam Taylor Britt seems to be the next guy up on the yeah. list and on the mocks in terms of the you know 
who who Nebraska or who the NFL draft experts, excuse me, expect to go to go next. And I mean, he's absolutely like he's kind of a sterling example of what you got to do at Nebraska. They go and mm-hmm. you know pluck a high school quarterback out of Alabama, turn him into a defensive back. I mean, I know like he wasn't expected to play quarterback at, at the college level, but what a success story! He got on the field right away did what he did uh, enough to leave early for the draft and, and he's probably going to get selected, you know? So, so that's another one. That's it's, it's not mm-hmm. the in-state guy, but it's, Oh, we went out and found this guy and developed him and, you know, a huge win uh, if he gets selected. Yeah. One of the things that always sticks with me uh, about Cam Taylor Britt is not only did they convert him from quarterback um, to defensive back and did that very quickly and very well. And that's credit to both Travis Fisher and, and Cam Taylor Britt. Um, the Nebraska didn't face, it wasn't like um, there were other like really big time schools coming after him. So it was like, everyone missed the boat on him. I think his final three was Nebraska, Missouri, and Troy. I, I think yeah. where was his last three, and it was that always kind of sticks to me that it felt like Nebraska that, and the, to me that shows that that was a real good Nebraska like evaluation win. Like I really give them credit um, for being able to do that and then get him going pretty quickly. Like it was really fast that we heard about Cam Taylor Britt being a guy that was going to be on on the scene and playing pretty quickly. Um, so I do think that, that is another one that you, you will see more promotion of about how they you know went and developed that. And then we want to go back. To kind of hometown kids and, and what or hometown players and what happened there. Austin Allen's story is really good too. Like it feels like now, like people and I don't people. Feel, it seems like to me that people act like we knew that Austin Allen was going to be really good. That wasn't necessarily the case because we've seen a lot of like tall, wiry tight ends that have come through Nebraska. And, we, and there's even in recent times, <laughs> you've seen a lot of them. Um, you've got a couple come in with Austin Allen, right? That are no longer with the program and they don't always fill out. They don't always develop. Um, but Austin's kind of perseverance and, and sticking with it and blossoming later in his career is actually another really good story that Nebraska can tell um, when it comes to, hey, recruits, look at what we're doing. And of course, Sean Becton and his role in all of that and I think that everyone will tell you that Beckton is one of the better developers and coaches on that staff uh, but there's a lot there um, for them to point to with Austin Allen as well yeah yeah absolutely I'm glad you brought him up because you know it's I think anytime you get above six six there's there's you start <laughs> to walk it back a little bit you you, you just wonder like okay it's like oh. being six eight good for football um and you know jacob padilla did a great yearbook story for last year's yearbook uh 2022 yearbook coming soon mm-hmm. subscribe now um talking about how you know he was primarily a basketball player until mm-hmm. you know some of his high school coaches said you might have a future in football and it took a lot of hard work on Austin Allen's part to get to where he is now going into this draft week. And he's another one that if you, you want to put together the story around it, it it's good. Cause I, I don't remember what Austin Allen's offer list was like. I should have looked that up, but it wasn't Cam Jurgens. It wasn't no. a player that, you know, was going to go out there and be a camp superstar and, you know, get offers from multiple power five schools. This was a guy who, and, you know, we see this with Nebraska. It's one of those those tricky areas where clearly one of the best players in the state, but he's out in Aurora. 
um, not going to have a huge offer list. Is he a guy? I mean, Nebraska, I think, was in on him pretty early. It was clear they were going to take him. It wasn't a deadline decision or anything. But, you know, it just it it becomes one of those, hey, the best players in this state may not get the recruiting attention that, you know, the equivalent player in Missouri might. But that's okay Uh, because you find the right guy. They can they can come in and do the work. And Austin Allen was Nebraska's second leading receiver last year. So it's a, it's again, another, I think, potential success story if he goes. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. And, and it's interesting that you mentioned that about like, the, like you're going to have guys like Austin Allen and this happens every year, right? We see, I see this every single recruiting class where there are guys in that group that are below that, you know, that Caden Helms, Michael Riley Ducker, they're not, not that level that notch below in, in terms of recruiting, that they're just not getting that attention. And because of that, people think, well, maybe Nebraska can slow play him. Can they get him as a, as a preferred walk on? Can all of that stuff? And I feel like we see all the time examples of guys that come and contribute to the team that fit into that category. Um, and we actually we have our the next class. And if, if the season goes the way that it looks like it could go for, say, Garrett Nelson, he's another guy like that. Now, it was it's a little bit different because he committed so early that it just was going. But he wasn't going to get that same recruiting attention. And I think that you knew that he was going to come to Nebraska, um, but he did not have many offers. Ethan Piper is another guy guy kind of like that that has started games for for Nebraska and and did not have very much um, recruiting attention and so I think that finding a way to blend kind of what you're seeing in this particular draft class so you have to blend that four star from Nebraska that you know like you said you can't miss that guy you have to land that guy you also have to blend that with those evaluation wins from down south which is something that they're going to try and do every single year based on where the staff comes from and also develop guys like Austin Allen while, oh, by the way, you got to go to Colorado and get a guy like Jojo Doman, who is another guy that when you talk about like how good he was at the end of his career, it was not always a foregone conclusion that Jojo, the Jojo that we saw his final year versus what he was when he first got to Nebraska could not be more different. Like his rise is another great story that Nebraska has to tell. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, his game against Ohio State is, <laughs> in terms of individual performances in a football mm-hmm. game, probably one of the best of the past, I don't know, 10 years at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I haven't spent any time, like, <laughs> verifying that, but it, it stands out. And, you know, yeah. so with him, he's right on the edge of that, quote-unquote, 500-mile 500, 500 radius. So you, you look at this group as a whole, you got the no-brainer in-state kid, you got the – hidden gem in-state kid you got the hidden gem from alabama and then you got a guy who's kind of one of those fringe prospects on the fringe of what you typically consider your recruiting territory mm-hmm. um so there, there's a lot to like there and i think i would add to that for this like jojo's a unique player mm-hmm. um he's a unique size he has a unique skill set and i think the feather in nebraska's cap with him is they found a way to utilize all of those talents and probably put him in a position where he goes into, you know, NFL draft consideration as kind of this jackknife player who can do a bunch of different things. And, and Nebraska, you know, a lot of that was JoJo's talent and his, the work that he put in. 
but Nebraska got out of his way too. Um, right. So, which may be a, a, a strange way to, to praise a coaching staff. <laughs> right. Hey, sometimes it's like that, right? You have to be able to, to have the humility to just get out of the way um, and let someone be what they're going to be, um, which, which is right. It's a strange way to compliment someone, um, but it is a compliment uh, when you get around to it. Um, now, every week we end the show with, with my favorite segment of the week. I'll put them on blast where we basically put someone on blast for something that they did or said. Put them on blast. This week, we're going to switch it up. We're going to let Brandon go first. Uh, Brandon, who who are you going to put on blast this week? I am putting on blast the Batman. Have you seen this yet? I have not because it's super long. It's the only thing, and I've got to carve out some time. That's the the thing that's keeping me uh, back. Yeah, so so I'm old and washed and late to the party. I did not go see this in the theater. It, it, you know, it's on HBO Max now for I don't know a certain amount of time. So I was like, okay, and, and you know, Greg, I, I am not like a huge superhero guy, not a huge comic book guy, but the one that I've kind of watched consistently throughout are the Batman films. Although I didn't watch the Ben Affleck ones, and watching this new one kind of made me understand why this movie is so dark and bleak and i just don't understand why batman has to be that way now uh Mm -hmm. christopher nolan did a good job with that kind of transition in a way that i very much enjoyed but this one at three hours i was like (laughs) it doesn't add anything to the canon of of batman it's just three hours of bleak darkness um the Riddler, which Paul Dano did a great job playing the Riddler, is like verging on Saw territory, creepy. Okay. Uh, like, wh- why do we, uh, why do we need, why do we need our, our Batman to go that far? But the worst part about it is, so this. Uh, hopefully, I'm not spoiling anything here. I don't think I could spoil anything because I was okay. paying the minimum amount of attention because I knew <laughs> I had three, eight, two and a half more hours to go. But at about that 30 minute mark, they take Nirvana's something about the way and put it in there for this like extended sequence which made me very mad because you have the song from nirvana that is like already kind of emotionally a downer and you know mm-hmm. emotionally powerful and they put it in batman and i was like what are you doing you can't just usurp nirvana's emotional resonance here but that's exactly what they did it was probably the best part of the movie but it was also mm-hmm. the worst part of the movie i did not enjoy myself watching this film i'm gonna say i i feel like you were going to say it was yeah you were gonna like make a total plot twist and go you know what but after all that i loved it um but no it's like it's interesting like i don't know if you've talked to derek about this i'm pretty sure he told me that he thought that that was the second best one behind um dark knight i i think i i think he said that i i I feel like he either told me that or put it on Twitter. Um, so it's fascinating because, and like, this is like super inside baseball. We've had all of these like random discussions in the Hale Varsity Slack, a bus Slack channel about these superhero movies um, and Brandon not watching them. And the only one who watches is Batman. Um, and so now I don't know if all of this information makes me want to just check it out for myself or if I just want to avoid it altogether. Like, honestly, it hasn't really popped up on the radar yet. It's something like, I'm like, man, I got to carve out the time to do it um, and just sit down and watch it. I don't 
mind dark. Like I generally veer towards dark, which is part of why I like the Christopher Nolan version so much. Um, I also like the Dark Knight Rises a, a ton um, with yep. Bane. Um, I stop it at with from like the last 15 minutes though, because I still, and I've, I think I've said this on this podcast before, I find it completely ridiculous that we go through that whole movie with him being great and nothing can slow him down. And he basically like just falls apart at the end of the movie. Like it drives me nuts, but I'm not going to go on a rant or that will be my blast. Uh, my, my put him on blast has actually been Simmons. So I feel like the Nets in general have been put on, on blast multiple times on this show and everyone has taken a turn. I don't think Ben Simmons has yet. Um, but what is going on with him? I think I guess is where I want to start because I totally got what he was or at least trying to say he was going through in Philadelphia where he wanted the trade. Didn't feel like they believed in him. And then, like, he said that he had mental health problems. He needed to kind of step away and be away from the team. We're going to leave him alone for that. We that, this, is, this is not about that at all. When did it turn into he has a back problem? Like, I don't know when that even happened. Like, I looked up yesterday, you know, I get the alert. It's kind of out and about that he, because it, it was looking like he was going to play in game four. Get the alert that, oh, no, he's actually going to be out. And it's because of a back issue. He woke up and it was, it was more sore than they thought it was going to be. It was just a weird situation. And I find all of the stuff around Ben Simmons right now to be strange. I don't know when he's going to pick up a basketball again um for the net's sake i guess you better hope it's next season sometime because what's going to happen with that nets team and you're starting to see it because i'm sorry and it's it sinks because like nba twitter discourse can be both great and awful it's verging on awful now when it comes to like the talk around kevin durant specifically because now all of a sudden he's no longer a great player he's still great having some real struggles um in yep. this series and boston really is the perfect team to bring those struggles out because they have such good perimeter to defenders including you know the defender of the year um and marcus smart to help guard him but like they they're verging on real issues because they have they're not going to escape the scrutiny that say the lakers or the warriors face um and some others a little bit when it comes to their struggles they're they're going to get into that territory right is what i'm trying to say where everything that they do is going to start to lead every debate show. And it's, it's really turned on them in a hurry. Um, now, all of a sudden, you see the Steve Nash can't coach thing, which is actually true. I'm sorry, Jacob. It's actually true. Um, still don't understand how he got that job, but that, that's a totally different discussion. Um, it, but back to Ben Simmons, he has to go on blast because I don't know what's happening with him if he's going to actually help this team, um, a team that is, is floundering and is going to probably have to do something sooner or later to kind of shake things up. Um, and he's definitely a part of that situation yeah so well first of all we're gonna have to watch our backs after this uh after this podcast because <laughs> jacob's probably gonna put you on blast and Derek's gonna put me on blast for Fair. for batman and um so we'll just we'll just have to united front be aware there <laughs> um you know the nets like they've it i assume they're gonna lose this boston series like they haven't been close yeah. they've looked directionless um they seem a little bit blocked in terms of like their long-term future. So I think you're right. Uh, part of that's Durant, but I, you know, you got to give credit to Boston with, with how yeah. they've defended him. Um, has he kind of done everything he could to, to try and find some easy points to maybe get things going? I don't know. Like I haven't watched the nets all season, but I've watched all, all three of their playoff games so far. Mm -hmm. 
and and the Ben Simmons thing just adds to that. You know, to to have a player he get he gets memed after game three for, <laughs> for sitting for sitting on the bench, yeah. and then you know the, most of that game they're talking about oh he'll he'll be available. They expect to have it. Right. Maybe that can jumpstart them, and then all of a sudden like oh yeah this this back thing that's kind of been sitting there. So it's just a weird situation. You know they they dealt with the Kyrie thing all all season yeah. long, and I don't know. I, I mean they went into this year as one of the title favorites and they look aimless at the moment and it kind of trickles down through all three of those. And if Ben Simmons is kind of the wild card that can make you not worry about Steve's Nash coach, Steve Nash's coaching and can allow Kevin Durant to, you know, free him up a little bit. Yeah. Like, we just don't know if he's ever going to be available or, no or idea. win or win. <laughs> so it's a, it's a tough situation for a team that entered this season with pretty high expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And and as we know with the NBA, things can change swiftly in an offseason. So it'll be like they'll they'll be one of the teams to watch. Um, even though, like I said, they are kind of their future is kind of handicapped because you have three max players on the team. It's always difficult um in the NBA to kind of maneuver with that. Um, and there's a number of guys like this. The NBA offseason will is always interesting, but there are a number of guys that will be kind of in that trade discussion randomly, um, and that will provide some fireworks that are unexpected because that always happens now in the NBA. We thought the NFL was crazy this offseason. I think the NBA will return to its normal craziness in the offseason this year as well, uh, which I'm actually hoping for because hopefully maybe that means my Lakers can actually get their crap together uh, because they definitely need it as LeBron dances on Instagram. But I'm, I'm not going to go on a Lakers rant. I, keep, I say this every week that I'm going to try to make it through the episode without going on a rant. And I apologize to you guys for having to hear these rants every week, uh, but I'm not going to do it. Um, that is going to do it for us this week. Subscribe to the podcast everywhere you listen to it uh rate us and leave us a five-star review if you only leave four i'm inclined to think you're a hater and nobody wants that uh make sure that you're checking out the other podcasts on the hill varsity network the mind your own podcast varsity club nebraska preps post game show and hill varsity radio show also make sure you're checking out the hill varsity youtube page i'll be back on there with more recruiting content we've got plenty of volleyball content from the weekend as well um you can also get after us on twitter at greg smith hb and at brandon l vogel i will catch you all next week a Huda Media Production.